Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. To our study this morning. Hopefully you guys have found your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, we are going to be closing out our series in Paul's letters to 1 and 2 Corinthians, a series that we started in the beginning of the year. And uh, it's a series we entitled Firm Foundation because in the first letter, Paul established the foundation of the gospel. And he said that in the gospel, The gospel is um, the power of God and that the gospel transforms and changes lives. And Paul also was addressing some challenges and issues that were present in the church. As a pastor, he needed to say some hard things, but some needed things, difficult but healthy things in order to see the church continue to grow in Christ. And so there was some compromise and some sin within the church, and that manifests itself through division and rivalries and fights. And so uh, Paul encouraged the church to have unity. But he also laid the foundation of the church and what the church is and the spiritual gifts within the church and the governance of the church and how the church works together in building and edifying and encouraging one another, even though we have diversity and all the different Uh, people that make up the church, there is interdependency and unity. And so in the second letter that Paul wrote, uh, we also see Paul talk more personally about his experiences in ministry. And many of that dealt with suffering and trial. In fact, in the previous chapter, if you were with us last week, Paul talks about a vision that he had of the throne room of heaven. And in this vision, he heard words and saw things that were inexpressible. He couldn't even put into words. It left him speechless. So Paul has this vision of the throne room of heaven. But following this vision, God also gave him what he called a thorn in the flesh, which was a difficulty or a persecution or a trial. And Paul says that this thorn in the flesh was actually a very intense trial from Satan to buffet him. And that word buffet means to, to punch. So Paul felt like a, basically a punching bag. He felt like he was getting sucker punched in his life by Satan in some of the things he was experiencing. And he pleaded and cried out to God over and over again that God would deliver him and make this trial go away. But God said, I'm not going to make it go away, but I am going to strengthen you in the midst of this trial because my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul chose to change his perspective on the trials that he experienced. He was going to celebrate and cherish the pain because he knew the trade-off. The trade-off was that God's strength was going to be with him through it all. And so we saw that Paul learned this type of humility through the hostilities he experienced in life. And uh, yet that continues on into this final chapter. In fact, Paul, in these closing remarks, challenges the church to examine themselves. So the title of the message is Examine Yourselves. But what we see here is that Paul brings his letters to uh, completion, all the way full circle in challenging the church to take a personal look inside where their lives are at with God to test and see whether they are of the faith. Because many... In the church, not all, but some, 
basically had a, a false Christianity. They were leaning upon their own goodness or leaning upon uh, whether they were keeping the law and the regulations or whether they looked spiritual on the outside. But Paul says, you know what, even though you look very good on the outside, uh, what matters is being close and pure and holy and cleansed and washed and redeemed, so on and so forth, on the inside. And so what we see in this chapter, just a very you know, main point, is that personal scrutiny is key to spiritual maturity. What do I mean by that? Well, we're encouraged throughout Scripture to scrutinize our own lives, to go under the spiritual magnifying glass, so to speak, so that God can look into the things that are going on in our lives so that we would reflect the character and the nature and the person of Jesus Christ, so that there would be an ongoing process of sanctification, which is kind of a big fancy word that basically means to be made holy and to be uh, complete and perfect. In fact, Paul uses that word later on in this chapter, that we would be complete into spiritual maturity. So we're going to see this personal examination or scrutiny, which uh, brings about spiritual maturity in our lives through a number of ways. Uh, first is we're going to see Paul challenge the church to examine themselves based on superficial Christianity. We're not Christians because we wear a cross around our neck or we have a Jesus bumper sticker or a WWJD bracelet or just because we're Americans. Uh, that's not the, the test for passing and understanding our salvation. In fact, the Bible says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And this gospel that Paul preaches in his letters is very powerful because uh, we see the righteousness of God. We see the judgment of God. We see the justice of God. And God did not set that judgment and justice aside to just give us love and grace and forgiveness. No, he actually poured that judgment out upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're going to see Paul talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection in this chapter. Secondly, we're going to see Paul expect the church to grow in spiritual maturity to completion. And then thirdly, we're going to see Paul exhort the church in his final remarks towards substantial unity. And this is really what plagued the church in Corinth, the challenge of division and Paul's encouragement for unity, to be of one mind, to be bonded together in love, and he's going to close out his letter with this same encouragement. So jumping in here to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, This will be my third time I am coming to you, and by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So Paul actually references an Old Testament principle and, in fact, a Levitical law that's basically said if there are two or three corroborating witnesses, then you would be able to establish the truth. And uh, so Paul is saying that based on my correspondence over these couple of emails that I've sent you, well, not emails, but uh, you know what I mean, these letters that he's written and uh, the visits that he's had, he's already visited twice and now he's going to come a third time, is that he's been able to observe and see and witness uh, the challenges as well as the, sh the shortcomings in the church, but also the change and the growth that has happened over the course of time. And Paul is basically saying that in this next visit, I'm able to establish really what is going on in the church. And my relationship with you is not something that's I'm, I'm calling the shots or making these assessments from a distance. 
I feel that I'm a spiritual parent to you. You're like my spiritual children. I love you so much. And Paul is visiting, writing, and he's witnessing these ups and downs within the church. And in verse 2, he says, I have told you before and foretell as I as if I were present the second time, and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before, and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. So Paul uses kind of some sharp words here. He says that uh, he's going to be pretty stern and pretty strict when he comes a third time, if he finds things in disarray. In fact, he's been spending a lot of time trying to spare the church of having to deal with these issues. And some of the accusations against Paul is that he was very weak and he didn't, he wasn't, uh, he didn't have the greatest speaking ability or he wasn't uh, the most polished speaker. And yet here he is in his letters speaking very stern and very direct. And so Paul is saying that there's going to be a consistency not only in the letters but also in my presence. And in verse 3 he says, Since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For though Jesus was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in Christ, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Everyone say examine. This is a key word in this chapter. Paul encourages the church to look inwardly under the surface to see whether or not we are of the, Paul uses the word faith. And I think that's an important word to highlight here because faith basically in the scriptures means trust. And Paul's gospel is a gospel of grace through faith. In fact, that's one of the things that he came against the Judaizers in the book of Galatians because many of these uh, people were claiming that we had to keep the law and we had to follow the rules and follow the regulations. You see, all the other world religions are, are completely different from biblical Christianity in that the world religions are man's attempt to reach and please God. But biblical Christianity is flipped completely upside down where God has reached down to man and has done what we could not do in sending his son Jesus Christ. To, to live a perfect sinless life and to die a sinner's death. And so not only do we see the judgment of God being fulfilled on the cross, but we also see the love of God being demonstrated through the person of Jesus Christ. And so he talks about this crucifixion of Christ, but also examining and the faith. He says, examine yourselves, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? So Paul says that we should know. There should be a confidence. There should be an assurance. Not in our own work and our own ability, but in what Jesus Christ has done for us. He connects it to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the litmus test for understanding where we stand in faith in Jesus Christ. So it's trust in him. It's not trust in our abilities. It's trust in what God has said through his son, Jesus Christ, and receiving it. As the Bible says, uh, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's an acceptance by faith in receiving this free gift of salvation to us. So that unless, look at what he says here, unless indeed you are disqualified. Ooh, there's a challenging word there in these opening verses. Paul not only examines but calls the church to examine the superficial Christianity that many people claim but is not rooted biblically in a personal 
conversion experience with God. You know, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul already established the fact in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if we are in Christ, we're new creations. The old has passed away and all things become new. So there's an, an examination. There's an allowing of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to reveal those things to us. But we also see that there are there is some sense of disqualification. And you might be thinking, wow, I want to know what those are. Have I been disqualified from the faith? You know, what I love about these verses is that Paul connects the foundation of our faith and trust and of our salvation in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Crucifixion and resurrection. In fact, if you remember the final words of Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus also said, it is finished. And then he gave up his, his life and complete surrender and fulfillment of what God had called him to. And so what did Jesus finish on the cross? Well, he finished having to please God in our own works. He finished the separation that we had because of our sin. We were separated from God. He reconciled us back to God through his sacrifice on the cross. He also finished the destruction of sin in our lives. He finished the power of sin over us in our lives, as well as defeating death and conquering sin. It is finished. There is nothing more that you and I need to or could add to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a free gift of salvation as we would accept it. So that gives me wonderful hope because there are many things that I have done in the past. There's many things that I currently do even today. Just ask my wife and kids. Because I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And there are going to be many things that I am going to do in the future that would seem as though I have been disqualified from God's love. And isn't it just like Satan to try to twist and manipulate our failures and our mistakes? Because when you think of disqualification, I think of sports. And you think of breaking the law or not following the rules and regulations. And when we... Um, when we uh, put that within the framework of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity and our walk with God, we think, well, I broke God's law. I committed a sin. And now I'm disqualified, friends. There is neither height nor depth, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come that can never separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Satan would try to bring up the things in the past. Satan will try to bring up the things from this past weekend and say, you are disqualified. You're a filthy wretch. Wretch, you're not lovable. And some of those things might be true, but Jesus Christ has already solved the problem of your worth and of your value on the cross. He went to the cross and demonstrating that love for us so that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is nothing that you and I can do to disqualify ourselves from the love of God. Actually, there's one thing. Well, you might be thinking, oh, I really want to know what that one thing is. Listen, the only disqualification of salvation is rejection of Jesus as the Savior. It's rejecting His gift, His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His redemption, and His salvation extended to you and I. That's the only disqualification. But you see that every single one of us has an opportunity to receive that, not only today, if you've never done that, but also God is continuing to work in your life because He loves you. He's pursuing you. And you might be trying to run from God or you might be trying to do things your own way. I know that I lived many years of my life living it my way. And I made a mess of my life. 
I ruined my life. But when I surrendered to God and I gave over in trust to him, he restored my life. He mended it. He healed it. He took all those things that would have disqualified me because really, if we were to be honest about it, our sin does disqualify us from the love and acceptance of God. But Jesus Christ, as the great referee he is, or the advocate said, hold up, I'll take the penalty. I'll go to the penalty box. I'll I'll shoot the free throws. I don't know, whatever analogy, sports you want to throw in there. Jesus stepped in, and he provided the forgiveness that we needed. So Paul is witnessing to this church in a very sincere way, pointing the church back to the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, but also encouraging the church to examine their own lives. This is a great opportunity, and I think every single moment we have on Sunday mornings, but just throughout the week, is to just let the Lord speak to you. There is no more important time I can think of in our like history than to make sure that you're right with God right now. If I could just sit down with you just one-on-one, you know, having a conversation over a cup of coffee or whatever it is, and just say, how are you doing right now? Where are you at with God? Where is your relationship with God? And maybe if you were to be honest and say, you know, it's not where it used to be. You know, I used to be really on fire for God. I used to get up in the morning and read my Bible and I just couldn't devour it enough. I couldn't, I couldn't read it enough because it was just so encouraging. You know, my prayer life isn't really where it used to be either. And I've just kind of I got complacent and I just started getting distracted. You know, if we were to have that conversation, I would say to you, you know, it's never too late to just shift gears. It's never too late because God didn't leave. He's not the one that walked away. He's not the one that forgot the quiet time. He's right there with you every moment. And this is a great opportunity to say, Lord, search me, try me, examine me. Because oftentimes we're scrutinizing and criticizing other Christians. We're criticizing other Christians instead of scrutinizing our own lives. And we are not held responsible in any of the scriptures that I read that uh, we are to be criticizing and scrutinizing the faith of other people. In fact, we are to scrutinize our faith to see whether we are not of the Lord, close to Him, rooted and grounded in history. Sure, of course, we might see the change of people's lives, and yet we want to be encouraging and point people to Christ. So Paul opens up this chapter in these closing verses with an an encouragement for personal examination. Now, what happens after we have the assurance of that salvation, the closeness of of our relationship with God, the renewal and, and restoration? Now comes transformation, and Paul talks about that in verse 7. Look with me there. He says, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be complete. Everyone say complete. This is very key to understanding what Paul is talking about here. Paul uses this word many times in his letters. It's found throughout the scriptures that deals with this idea of being mature, whole, 
as well as perfect. Now, none of us in this room are perfect, but with God beginning a work in us, he is bringing that work to completion. Now, the perfection of Christ, of God's work in us, is the picture or the portrait of Jesus. Now, none of us has Jesus always shining through our lives. Can I get an amen on that, right? It's okay. We'll just get that out of the way. But the point is, is to, in all of our interactions and in all the things that we say and the things that we think, uh, in our relationships, it's to model the portrait and the picture and the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. So what does that tell us? That tells us that if something needs to be complete, it means that there are some things that are incomplete, right? And I think as we examine ourselves, there's going to be some things that God is going to point out that are incomplete. Now, you might be thinking, well, there's a lot of things at the house that are really incomplete. I was talking to somebody during the service, uh, during, in between services, and he says, well, there's all kinds of projects. I'm, we're building this, and we're doing that, and we're renovating this. And he feels like, well, these projects are never going to be complete. And I said, well, you're on to something there, friend, because in the same way that these household projects are never going to be complete, so your soul is never going to be complete. Well, not only never going to be complete aside from Jesus Christ in your life because we're going to run after so many things. You might be thinking that if I just had $1.3 billion, then I would be complete. Well, why are you chuckling? You were, you were daydream, daydreaming about the mega millions this past week, weren't you? Oh, come on. Our minds just kind of naturally think about that. Oh, I would be complete. All my projects at home would be complete. I wouldn't have debt. All everything would be paid off. I could tithe $100 million to Quest Church. I'm still waiting for that check. It's like maybe it's coming on Monday morning. I'm sure if anyone visited a convenience store in Indiana this past week, then uh, maybe that check is going to come. I don't know. But hopefully you would be complete in tithing that awesome, wonderful check to the ministry of the Lord. But we think these things, we think we'll be complete if we had this or we had that or the relationship there or things were lined up differently. No, you, you and I were created in such a way that we will never be complete and satisfied apart from a restored and renewed relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that we're filling that incompletion in our lives with so many other things. You can fill in the gap. We all have our vices. We all have our remedies. We all have our quick fixes. But they will never satisfy. And Paul says the completed work of Christ in your life comes when you surrender to him, when you receive the gift of his crucifixion and of his resurrection. And what I love about this is that Paul says, I'm praying for this. Isn't it great to have somebody in your corner who is actually prompting you and encouraging you and pointing you towards growing in your relationship with God? And many of us, it could be our spouse or a very close friend, but uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I'm so excited about the ministries here at the church with the women's ministry or even the men's ministry. So many awesome stories and testimonies coming out of that small group where there are these guys getting focused around God's word and they're wrestling with issues and they're praying for one another. Paul says, I pray that you do no evil. Well, that's a good place to start, right? And there's probably some things that are very clear and very evident that we just need to cut off and remove because it's not, it's very clear and evident that it's not becoming of a person who has a genuine, authentic relationship with God. Okay, that's very simple. But then he goes on to say that we would do the honorable thing. 
Well, the honorable thing is doing the Christ-like thing. Doing the Christ-like thing is not easy, and it does not come natural to us. And so, as we follow Christ, as we've been transformed and changed by Him, this leads to the conforming nature of Jesus. His quality, His character, and really is opposite of all that we experience, all that we see, of even all the flesh and our, you know, are pushing us to do. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we are going to look different. We're going to sound different. We're going to be different. And that difference is made by Christ in our lives to be complete, fully complete. Now listen, I want you to understand this important point as Paul makes mention of the crucifixion and understanding whether we are of the faith, uh, sincere and genuine in salvation. Listen, faith alone saves. Full stop, exclamation point. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. Faith alone saves. But faith that saves is not alone. This type of faith and trust in Christ begins to produce, as James says in his letter, I will show you my faith by what I do. It's a change. And the perfection that Paul talks about in this completion. You see, perfection is a process of continual sanctification. It means that there's going to be some walls that need to be painted. There's going to be some fences that need to be fixed. There needs to be some holes that are going to be patched. Now talk about your soul. There's some holes in your soul. Well, maybe your shoe sole. I don't know. But there's some holes in your soul that need to be patched and healed and mended and brought to completion. And when you draw close to the Lord and you have people around you who are encouraging you to do the same, but... You also are praying and urgently seeking the Lord. Lord, would you complete this work? Prayer is a good place to start, a good place to stay, and a good place to continue when we see the completed, perfecting work of God in our lives. And then lastly, in his closing, just a couple of verses here, we see Paul bring his letters full circle and talk about the unity that is so important and valuable within the church really speaking to a church in Corinth that struggled desperately with this topic and issue. However, Paul closes in reminding them to uh, have this in their church. Paul says in verse 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. Some of your translations might say rejoice because that's a better translation for this word. Rejoice. Rejoice in all that God has done for you. Rejoice in the faithful work of Christ in you. Farewell and rejoice. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. That's just another way of saying have unity. Be uh, united together. Have one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. See, those are very you know, short, simple things to say. But it's a lot harder to do and live. But really, these qualities, as Paul talks about, are the serenity that we have as followers of Jesus. We have the peace of God. Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace, and uh, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, as we seek and pray and cast all of our worries and burdens and cares to Him, would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I know I need a lot of that in my life because there's worry. There's There's worry and anxiety and frustration and uncertainty that comes with life. Paul talks about the serenity that we have. Now listen, he's talking to a church. We've already established that the church is not the building. The church are 
are the people. It's not the steeple. It's not the physical location. It's the people of God. It's you and I. And we can experience the peace of God in his midst. So he also talks about the sincerity, this love. You can't get around reading the scriptures or looking at the life of Jesus or understanding how we ought to live honorably and be complete without this four-letter word, love. It is the characteristic and the quality of the follower of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that we could ever demonstrate and ever model, it's the love of Christ. And Paul very eloquently described this type of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love is patient, love is kind, it is not rude, it does not seek its own. Uh, is not easily provoked. Love believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Love never fails, right? This beautiful love of God. There's serenity, there's sincerity, but there's also solidarity. You see that as we have unity one to another. Building up, Paul talked about the church being very diverse. And as I look out on this crowd, there's a lot of diversity. Different colors of hair, different colors of skin, all kinds of diff- whatever, maybe little hair or some hair, I don't know. But the diversity is actually what helps the church because in our diversity, God uses that because we're interdependent upon one another as well as uh, we have this unity together to accomplish. We're various members of one body being used by God. Paul makes mention of this in his closing remarks. And then lastly says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, single men, this is not a verse for you to hold on to in uh, the singles and college ministry. We're not going to be, that's a joke, guys. You can laugh at that probably. Well, if you'd like to, that'd be fun. But this was just a custom that they would have Back then, it wasn't sensual. It was affectionate. I guess we would do like the bro hug or the pat on the back or the fist bump or even the hug, right? The side hug for those single guys now. Side hug, please. I don't want to see any holy kisses going on around here, guys. But uh, this was just a show of affection and sincerity with one another. And then he says, all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I love how Paul very specifically ends his letter with the distinct persons of the Trinity. In fact, this is quite unique. We don't see it all that often in Scripture. But we see the grace of Jesus Christ. And that grace is God's unmerited favor. The grace of God is not something that we deserve. But it was given to us freely through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And we also see the love of God expressed through the person of Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Basically, he means the fellowship, the camaraderie, the unity that the Holy Spirit is always with us. In fact, Jesus said, if I'm going to go away, I'm also going to send you the helper, the comforter, the counselor. That The Holy Spirit is going to be with you wherever you go. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I love that Paul brings the intimacy of the Trinity within the church because when the Trinity is present, the church is pleasant. I love that because, well, not only does it rhyme and it's sweet to say, but hear me out, when the Trinity, when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is at work within the body of Christ, then it is pleasing to Him. There is pleasure that God takes in His church but there is also pleasure that we can have in ministering to God. 
So I'm going to have our worship team coming up. They're going to lead us in a closing song. But I just want to say in closing how very proud I am of our church and of all that our church body does to serve and to minister to one another. This weekend was just another amazing example of all the sacrifice, of all the giving, of all the help that our church body does in ministering to other people. And there's many things that go on behind the scenes that nobody sees. In fact, many of the people in the soundboard, they don't get a lot of credit because, well, one, they don't want it. But two, our backs are to them every single week. And they probably prefer it that way because they don't want to be drawing attention to themselves. But they do a wonderful job of serving and helping. They prepare. There's many people that come and wash uh, toilets and mop floors and come early and set up chairs and pick up trash and uh, set up signs and uh, blow down all the walkways so that there's not dust and trash. There's so much that our church does in preserving and in protecting the unity of the bond of peace and of love. And I just want to say on behalf of the Lord, if I could even say that, it's very humbling to say that, but just on behalf of the Lord, how proud Jesus is with Quest Church. That we could please him. That we could continue to have the serenity of God's peace in our midst. When I, I've had the privilege of being with the senior study over the past month and, uh, you know, just facilitating the study. And I learned so much from them. It's such a joy. Well, not only is it a joy to be with them in the Bible study, but they also cook really good food. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, right? We, I mean, every, we have home-cooked meals by Marge and Suzanne, and we have birthday cakes and all kinds of goodies. So I guess I'm giving away all the secrets, but uh, all, yeah, come on in. Exactly, absolutely. Come on in and enjoy. But I see the seniors study, just thriving and growing in the grace and knowledge of God. I see our youth ministry. I just could not be more proud of our team that serves of Nick and the rest, Julie and Maddie and Sam. And, uh, you know, those who have been hosting Bible studies at their pool parties this past, you know, month um, to hear of the decisions that the youth made during youth camp and to come back and make those professions of baptism. I mean, it's amazing to see the kids that are being ministered to by the, the team with Amanda and so many others. We just don't even have a list, list long enough to mention all of what they're doing to teach and to train the kids and to minister to them. It's just a beautiful thing. Friends, I don't want to be or do anything else to be and do it with you, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with you. And I can't help but pray this prayer over our church, that the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us on Sunday mornings, be with us on Tuesday mornings and Tuesday nights, be with us on Thursday afternoons and Thursday nights, be with us wherever we're at to experience God's grace and God's love. Sound good? Yeah, well, Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. But we also know that as we read this chapter, we're encouraged to examine our hearts and examine our lives. And I pray that we would do that personally right now as we prepare to sing this song. We would get right with you. Maybe if there's some distance or we've been walking away or there's been a bit of a change. 
Lord, we want to be close to you. Examine our hearts. Maybe if there are some things that are causing us evil and harm, or maybe there's some things that other people don't quite see, but we're doing the unhonorable thing. Lord, we know you see. And may we confess that, be changed, trust you. Lord, I pray your continued blessing upon Quest Church. We are a small part of the bigger church of God throughout this globe. But I'm so very grateful that you've given us this heart to follow you, that it would just be Jesus. And we would do all that we can to introduce people to Jesus. Lord, we're excited for what's to come. We pray your peace, your love, your unity to be in our church body. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.